This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hello, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. I've been on the radio now my 28th year in Kansas City, or 18th year here at Sports Radio 810 WHB, and our show is now syndicated around the country in a number of cities. And I look forward to doing this show with you each week because we talk about mindsets, we talk about attitudes, we talk about sportsmanship, we talk about the coach-athlete relationship, we talk about how to deal with crazy parents on the sidelines. What do you do about officials? How do you deal with winning and losing, success and failure? We talk about all these topics each and every week. I'm in my 38th year of work as a sports psychologist in the Kansas City area, and I've had the privilege to work with athletes and coaches and teams at all levels, from youth sports all the way up to the professional Olympic levels. And I love doing this show every week because I get to talk with people about sports. I get to talk with people about the mental side of sports and how you succeed. How do you, you know, the difference between winning and losing, what is it? My definition of winning is going out and doing your best. Yeah, you want to come in first. You want to win the championship. But if you concentrate on doing the best you can, you have a much better chance of doing that. Over the years, I've interviewed many, many people on this show. Throughout my 28 years on radio, I've had the privilege to talk to all kinds of coaches, athletes, administrators, uh, physicians, uh, medical personnel, athletes, parents. And I try to bring in guests who I think will be of interest to you who have a story to tell. And today I've got a, a gentleman with me here in the studio who I've known for several years. I met several years ago as he began coaching the University of Missouri-Kansas City women's soccer team. We've developed a relationship over the years. His name's Chris Sissel. And Chris is a very unique guy because he coaches college women. He's a man coaching women. And it's an interesting job. And he is very, very good at it. In fact, he's, he's really good at it. He's won three conference titles in the last few years at University of Missouri, Kansas City, in the WAC conference. And he knows what he's doing. And I thought it'd be great to have him come in and talk with us today about a couple things. First of all, just about coaching women as a male coaching women at the collegiate level. But also I want to get into this. Many, many people ask me as they come in with their kids, you know, how do we get them to college? How do we get them to make it there? What's, what's it take? What's the recruiting situation like? How do you go through all that? Well, Chris is going to be going to his 30th year of coaching, and he knows a little bit about this. He's coached men and women at the collegiate level. And he's very successful at it. So, Chris, thank you for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm very excited to be here and look forward to talking with you. You know, we've known each other for, what, about seven years? Now, seven or eight seven, years, yeah. 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 And, and I admire you a lot. You, you have an incredible amount of energy. <laughs> well, you are you. very <laughs> excited about what you do. Yeah. You, you love I love it. Do. Yeah, I have an absolute love and passion for the game of soccer, which I think is just uh, 
extremely infectious with our with our team and our players that they they uh they know how much I love it and I think that kind of uh helps them to have that same love and passion for the sport for the game. Well, you sort of just answered the question I was going to ask. <laughs> Why are you so successful? I think you just told us. Yeah, I, I think I think I mean there's probably lots of reasons of why we've had some success, but I think a lot of it is just the absolute love and passion for the sport, passion for the game. I mean, I, I look forward to it every day. I look forward to every training session. Uh, game days are the greatest days, you know. There is I, I lo- love the competition, and I you know I just love being around the athletes, love being around our our team and our family members, and so I just feel like it's a uh, you know, if you had to, if you had to probably sum it up in one word, I would, I would say that the one word is probably passion. You know, I'm really big on sportsmanship. Yes, and I'm really big on helping people deal with the wacko people who are in sports. <laughs> right. And you've had to deal with that a lot, haven't you? Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. If you've been coaching for as many years as I have, and and it's been as, as competitive environment as I've been in, then yeah, you deal with a lot of uh, interesting people. I'll use the word interesting, but uh, you know, you have to deal with a lot of different. Scenarios and that's a lot of a political, politically, politically correct. correct statement is yeah. interesting. Right? Interesting, okay. yeah. That's my new thing. My wife makes fun of me right now too because that's when the when the referee makes a uh, what most people would consider to be a poor or bad call. I've been, instead of yelling at the ref, I've been saying stuff like, "Well, that was interesting," or "That was an interesting call." And so I feel like everybody on my team knows when I say that now that that means I didn't really agree with the referee on that call. But well, okay. So let, let let's focus on referees for a minute. You know, one of the things I've I've said for many years, back when I worked with the Kansas City Comets indoor soccer team back in the '80s, uh, with our head coach Rick Ben Ben, who who is coaches the UMKC men's team. Right. The one consistent thing about refereeing is they're always inconsistent. Yeah, that's true. Right? And then one of the things I've learned is you're never going to get a referee to change their call. So I think I've done a better job as I've gotten a little bit older and a little bit more mature. Of, I don't think I really uh, yell at the refs as much as I used to when I was younger. And uh, I think I have kind of just understand it's a really tough job. It's a really difficult job, especially in our sport, to only have three refs. Uh, you know, refing 22 players on the field at one time on a field that's typically 120 yards long and 75 yards wide. That's that's tough. So, um, you know, and like I said, you you never really have seen a referee based on a coach or a player arguing with them change their mind. So it's just kind of one of those things you just have to have to deal with. But it's it's a part of every game. It's a part of every game. It's a part of every you know of every situation. It's in, in every sport. I mean, there's things that's happened. You know, in professional lately with, uh, you know, in the NHL and the NBA and things like that that I've been watching on TV at night. Just can't believe some of the referee decisions that go on even at the very highest level. You know, if an official isn't noticed, usually means he, he or she has done their, their job. Right? Yeah, that's correct. But that's when correct. they become the target of sports talk for weeks and weeks about yeah. the call that they didn't make or the call they made they shouldn't have made, it becomes an issue. Yeah, you know, I always wonder why people officiate referee because it's a thankless job, really. It really is, and that's one of the things that I think is really tough. And another thing is, I feel like as I get older, one of the things I really want to do is I, I want to encourage people to go into refereeing, and I'd like to see some of our players, some you know, some of the players that I've worked with over the years, you know, give back to the game once their playing career is over and become a referee because I think we need more referees that have played the game at a high level. But the tough thing is, like you just said, Dr. Jacobs, it's such a thankless job, and you're always just getting yelled at. Why would anybody want to do that? My guest today is University of Missouri-Kansas City women's soccer coach Chris Sissel. He's been coaching going into his 30th year. He knows a lot about coaching, about kids, about psychology. A couple weeks ago on one of my shows, I brought up this topic. I had an a, a individual on who happens to be the assistant athletic director at Avril University and is their strength and conditioning coach. And I had him on because – he decided to quit refereeing 
soccer games because he had enough of the behavior on the sidelines from parents. Mm-hmm. And he refereed a an adult indoor game where on a throw-in, it was a co-ed game, the male who threw the ball in threw it in as hard as he could into the female's face right in front of him, at which point then she turned around and punched him and a melee broke out. Wow. So, yeah, that's so, disappointing to hear. <laughs> let me ask you this question. Uh, I, I brought up this issue, and, I, and, and I've been thinking about it. I've had some comments from people about it since. When you've got parents out of control at youth sports games, and you've coached many, many youth sport games in the past. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you're at the collegiate level, but you've coached both. Right. When you've got parents who are out of control, I mean really out of control, do you feel that they get ejected from a game, they get kicked out, they should not be allowed back in? I think their kids should should be allowed to continue to play. But if if a parent is so out of control verbally or physically, whatever, and they get thrown out, the only way they're allowed to come back is after they take an officiating, refereeing, umpiring class and have to officiate for a season – and then be allowed to come back. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. I've never thought of it that way, but I think that would really be a, a great way to, to educate them and to you know, make them understand what the referees go through, especially in our sport. No one really understands offsides. And so I think if they could learn that, uh, that would really help them to understand what the ARs go through. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today is University of Missouri-Kansas City women's soccer coach Chris Sissel, and we'll be back in a moment. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Are you an athlete, competitor, or ordinary individual who wants to learn how to relax, build confidence, and think more positively? Then the 20 Minutes to Success series of digital downloads and audio CDs from sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs are perfect for you. 20 Minutes to Success will teach you techniques to help you succeed. Dr. Jacobs covers topics like deep breathing for better focus, confidence building, and positive visualization. The 20 Minutes to Success series includes programs for individual sports like swimming, running, tennis, and baseball. You can also target overall athletic performance or relaxation. For more information and to get 20 minutes to success on digital download or CD, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, to get 20 minutes to success, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. The world of youth sports has grown tremendously in the last few years, and with that growth comes questions. What's the right age to let my child start playing? When should winning and losing become important? And how can the youth sports experience be fun? These questions and many more are addressed head-on in sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs' book, Just Let Him Play, guiding parents, coaches, and athletes through youth sports. Written with Major League Baseball pitcher Jeff Montgomery and Hall of Fame swimming coach Peter Malone, Just Let Him Play tackles the issues that make youth sports increasingly difficult for parents, coaches, officials, and especially kids. Just Let Him Play explains the importance of winning and losing, success and failure, and why it's okay when not every athlete gets a trophy. For more information and to get your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, for your copy of Just Let Him Play, Go to winnersunlimited.com and click products.
Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. My guest today is University of Missouri, Kansas City, women's soccer coach Chris Sissel. I've known Chris for several years and does a great job. He's won several championships in a short time at University of Missouri, Kansas City. And we're talking about coaching and about kids. And before we went to our break there, we were talking about this whole thing about abusive parents, okay, about maybe if they can't, if they get kicked out of a game, they can't come back unless they take an officiating class. And you, you think that's not a bad idea? No, I think that'd be a great idea. I think that would definitely curtail that quickly. And I think if the parents actually went through a referee course, they would learn a lot about the game. And, and they would just see how difficult it is to ref. And I think that would give them a new appreciation of it and would probably uh, keep them from screaming and yelling at the refs, uh, you know, knowing how tough their job is. And like I said, it, everybody wants to watch their kids play. I mean, that's what we want to do as parents. I mean, I've got four kids of my own. I love going and watching all of my kids play and compete and you know if I got out of control during the game and I couldn't couldn't watch my kids play I you know I would be devastated okay you know the whole whole idea of, of officials you mentioned before aren't going to change their calls right so you can yell and scream all you want and going to work so why do people why do people do that then you've done know. it before you're not yeah. doing it anymore but right well, know, I, why, why do coaches I, do that when they know it's not going to change I don't them? know I think that's a good question I think you know um, I, mean, we're, I think everybody's just so passionate too and I think when you know that a, a call was made I think you know mostly when I 
get upset with the referee is when I feel like they're not protecting our players. That's really my biggest thing now. I mean, I, I, I protect them in terms of maybe physical yeah. I feel injury. like if it's a really physical game, and if someone's like you know, we've we've had some really special players over the last couple of years that I feel like other teams have actually you know gone after those players, and I have no problem with playing physical. But there's a difference between playing physical and playing dirty. So what's so what's the best thing, Chris, to do if you're a coach and we've got. You know, lots of youth sport coaches are listening to this show. Right. What would you suggest to a coach of 12-year-old girls, yeah. okay, who have an official who's maybe not doing – maybe, in their opinion, not doing a good enough job? What, what Instead of screaming and yelling at them, what do you suggest they do? I mean, I suggest you talk to them before the game or, you know, at halftime maybe you pull them aside and just say, hey, you know, th- these are some of the things that I'm seeing or seeing as a coach. You know, what are you seeing out there on the field? Um, you know, and especially like one of the things I've done and I did a lot this past year is we had some, like I said, some really, really special players that everybody was going after. And I would make sure and talk to the refs about those players before the game and remind them at halftime of, hey, you know, are you seeing that they're really going after, you know, like our number 10, our number 14, our number nine, our number seven are taking some really excessive hits. And I, you know, I feel like you need to do something about that and, you know, maybe give a yellow card a little sooner. Uh, would curtail the other team from playing so so dirty and so physical on some of the key players out there. As a as a head coach, you have many hats you have to wear. Correct. I always say a coach is a psychologist. They're a disciplinarian. They're a parent. They're a friend. Yeah. Um, you're a coach. I mean, you you, mm-hmm. you you've got to be a guide, a mentor, director. As a college uh, women's coach, as a male, right? Okay. What are some of the issues you have to deal with? And, and as I, we lead into the rest of the show, I want to get into I know a lot of people ask me this question all the time. How do I, how do I get my child to get a scholarship? What's the process? I want to get in as we move on. But, mm-hmm. but what are some of the things you have to do as a, co- as a head coach at a co- for a college team, especially a male coaching women? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we have to do. Like I said, we wear all kinds of different hats. But I think one of the things that we've had success lately is just building a family atmosphere, building a family culture. Um, I'm at the age now, I just turned 47. And so, you know, I feel like uh, my players, like we, we really, we, we're a family. Like we are a family at UMKC and we talk about family all the time. The locker room is not a locker room, it's a family room. And, and we're really not a team, we're a family. So part of my job is, you know, I'm, I'm the head coach, but sometimes, I mean, lack of a better term, I, you know, I'm, I'm a father figure to these girls and parents trust me to, you know, take care of their daughters from their ages of 18 to 22 predominantly. And so I feel like everything that we do, all the decisions that we make and everything that we do is what, what would be best for the family, what's best for the family as a whole, not what's best for an individual player, but what's best for the team or the family. And I think that that atmosphere, that culture that we've created and that all the girls have bought, bought into have really helped us to, uh, to enjoy a lot of success, you know, on the field, but also off the field with our team unity and team chemistry. Lots of people ask me this question, Chris. You know, my, my child's playing. I, in fact, I just had a, a college golfer, a male college golfer, who had some physical injuries this year and wasn't able to play. And his mother, a single parent, was very concerned about the treatment he was getting. And so she called up the school to speak to the head coach. Head coach said, I'm not talking to you. I deal with your son. I don't deal with parents. Yeah. And she said, well, you know what? You're going to deal with me because we're talking about his health yeah. and not his golf game. And mm-hmm. he said, sorry. And he hung up on her. Okay. Well, okay. What's, yeah, how do you feel about that? Well, that, I mean, every coach is different. Every coach handles things differently. Um, but I think, like I said, when it's about someone's health, I mean, I'm always going to talk to the parents. And I, and I have a lot this year. Unfortunately, we've gone through a plethora of injuries lately and a lot of girls out this spring. And I've, I've had a lot of discussions with the girls' parents because it's about their, 
their health and their treatment and what we're trying to do to help them. So, um, you know, if it's about playing time or something like that, I will just politely usually say to the parent, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to talk to your daughter about that or your daughter. If she's concerned about her role or her playing time, she needs to come in and talk to me. But if a parent is calling to talk about, um, you know, their mental health or their physical health, the, the welfare, then I'm always going to talk to the parent at that, at that time. But like I said, every, every coach is different. And, you know, at the collegiate level, they start trying to tell you that, you, you know, a lot of coaches will tell the kids, I'm not going to talk to your parents at all. You know, you're, you're 18 to 22, typically is the age of our athletes is, you know, you're becoming an adult and you need to handle these things, you know, on your own. But when it comes to physical, and we'll get to mental health in a little bit because I want to talk about that, the, the, the physical side of all this, when you do have an injury, I mean, it, it's important to let the parents be involved. In oh, 100%. 100%. I think the parents need to know right away. And like I said, we've had, unfortunately, more injuries than I would like this past spring. Um, and we've, you know, we've talked to the parents and, and kept them involved in, in every aspect of it. And, you know, we, we my, my associate head coach, Jeff Cole, and I, we, we go to the doctor's appointments with the girls too and i think the parents appreciate that and that kind of goes to our family atmosphere and our family culture that when a girl is is going to a doctor's appointment we we go along that i don't think too many well, and I, I know that, that personally because you referred a young lady to me and you came with her the first time right yeah right exactly to so i feel like psychological you know, things yeah i mean and i think that's part of you know if, if we're going to say we're a you know father figure and if we're saying that we're a family and a cult, when someone's hurt when someone's injured whether it's like I said physical health or mental health I think part of my responsibility as the head coach and part of Jeff Cole as the associate head coach is to be there for those girls and and to be there for their parents, especially some of the girls that are from out of town and they can't come in, their parents can't come in. So in the recruiting process, what would you suggest that coaches say to parents and what are some questions parents should ask the coaches about, about what's going to situation? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think, um, I think a lot of things with, with this would be you know, they, they need to trust the coach. They need to trust the coach that they're leaving their son or daughter with to, to, to play collegiate athletics. But I think they need to understand, you know, if, if they're concerned about their son or daughter, concerned about the student athlete, um, they, they should feel like they should be able to talk to the coach at any time. But I do feel like at the college level is when the conversations about playing time or role on the team or my daughter should be a forward instead of a midfielder or something like that. I think those conversations uh, need to be handled between student athlete and coach, but I have no problem with talking to the parents when it comes to the student athlete welfare. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today is Chris Sissel. He is the head women's soccer coach at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. I'm a really good interview today with Chris about what he does as a head soccer coach, and we're going to talk more about parents and, and, and coaches at the collegiate level and athletes and dealing with all the issues they have. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Are you an athlete, competitor, or ordinary individual who wants to learn how to relax, build confidence, and think more positively? Then the 20 Minutes to Success series of digital downloads and audio CDs from sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs are perfect for you. 20 Minutes to Success will teach you techniques to help you succeed. Dr. Jacobs covers topics like deep breathing for better focus, confidence building, and positive visualization. The 20 Minutes to Success series includes programs for individual sports like swimming, running, tennis, and baseball. You can also target overall athletic performance or relaxation. 
For more information and to get 20 minutes to success on digital download or CD, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, to get 20 minutes to success, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. If you suffer from COPD symptoms like shortness of breath and fatigue, where do you turn? There are medications and oxygen, but do you know about pulmonary rehab? Three out of five COPD patients have never heard of it. Pulmonary rehab is an exercise, education, and support program that gives you tools to manage your condition, and Medicare typically pays for it. So whether it's grocery shopping on your own or just walking across the room, pulmonary rehab can help you. Visit livebetter.org to find out about your options for pulmonary rehab today. Here's farmer and landowner John Prue. We purchased the land about three years ago, and there was an old farmstead on there with trees. We were going to clear the land so we could farm through it. We thought we knew where the pipe was, so we didn't call to get it located. The work on our property led to the damage of a light crude pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour, and my guest today is University of Missouri, Kansas City women's soccer coach, head soccer coach, I should point out, Chris Sissel. Chris is going into his 30th year of coaching, and three of the last five years, if I'm correct, you've won the uh, WAC title at the correct. University of Missouri, Kansas City women's team. And that, that's a big accomplishment because you took this Thank team you. over 
there wasn't much of a team. It was a mess. Well, and, correct. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about that, but yeah, we, when I got to UMKC, well, but it, but it was. I yeah, mean, we were it, it was in disarray. And three. It wasn't, yeah, yeah. two thirty-three and three when we took over, and and now, we, like you said, we've won uh, three championships in the past five years, and and back to back. Uh, conference championships, so we're really proud of our girls. And I know you know you you've had me work with your team before, correct? And, and uh, one of the reasons I have you on is I really respect you and and how you coach and your your openness to the sports psychology aspect. And and along those lines, I want to get into the whole issue of mental health. You know, yeah. we're, we're I've been doing this for thirty eight years, sports psychology for thirty eight years. I started back in nineteen eighty one uh, when I got out of graduate school. Moved back to Kansas City, and nobody had heard of sports psychology around here. Yeah, I mean, I interviewed at uh, four of the local schools: UMKC, Avila, Rockhurst, and William Jewell. And and one of the athletic directors, well, I'll just mention he was the athletic director at your former school, UMK <laughs> at, at William Jewell. Yeah, when I interviewed with him, he said, "I don't believe in hocus pocus and witchcraft." Oh, that was wow. the okay. view of yeah. what I did back in 1981. Okay. Um, we've come a long way. Well, and we've got a long way to go still. Correct. But because I, I believe every university should have a full-time sports psychologist on staff available yeah. to work with athletes. Not just not just the counseling center at the university, but a sports psychologist yeah. who can work with the athletes, not just on performance enhancement things, but working with them on mental health. Mental health has become something that even five years ago wasn't talked about that much. But in the last several years, we've seen many professional athletes come out and, 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 and talk about it. When 1990, the Royal, Kansas City Royals hired me as one of the first full-time sports psychologists in all Major League Baseball. Um, you know, and now most baseball teams have sports psychologists on staff. Not yeah. all of them, but most. Um, there are a lot of professional teams that don't have sports psychologists on staff. They may refer out. They don't have somebody there full-time, and I believe they should be. But yeah. at the collegiate level – you have such a, a, a an eclectic mix, a hodgepodge of people coming in from all over the place. You've got people, you know, right. you've got girls from all over the country on your team, different backgrounds, and I think it's really important to have somebody there to help them deal with the stress no, I agree. of being and a college the, student and the adjustment. What do you? I, yeah, do you no, I, I completely agree, and that's one of the reasons why you know we've tried to work with you so much since I've been at UMKC for the last eight years. Is uh, you know the student athletes are just dealing with so much. I mean, as part of you know, with the the stress of the grades and, and just, uh, you know, with all the travel that we do in the Western Athletic Conference and, you know, training every day and lifting weights and running, staying fit. There's just there's so many things that the athletes have to deal with, um, you know, and that doesn't even include the social aspect of it that I feel like mental health is an extremely important part of you know, of sports. It's an extremely important part of, of our team and our culture and, and what we're trying to do. And, and I'm, I'm no expert, but I also know that it's extremely important. And whenever we feel like someone is maybe struggling a little bit with their mental health, I mean, we, we feel like we need to get those people uh, and those student athletes help right away. And, and obviously, I feel very blessed and very fortunate to have the relationship with you and to have you so close to us that over the years, as you know, Whenever we have uh, a student athlete who I feel like needs a little extra help, I, I send them to you right away. And I, I think you've done wonders for our team and our program and for these individual players. And, uh, and you know, I, I feel very fortunate, too, to be the kind of coach where I think when the girls are struggling that uh, with, with anything from the mental health aspect, anything going on in their personal life, I, I love the fact that I'm the kind of coach that they – 
they feel comfortable they, they can, can come I, to. I know a lot of these young young women feel they can come talk to you, and yeah, that's very, I, very I, important because many, many coaches throw up walls and barriers and really do not let their athletes get that close to them or, or will get close to the athletes. They don't right. feel it's that important. I think there's more of an awareness today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you've got – and you're coaching women. Correct. Young women. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who uh, – many of whom – have never been away from home before, maybe right. the first time. And so yeah. there's an adjustment with that. There's the adjustment with you know being away from home. There's the adjustment to, as you said, having a schedule that's very demanding. Being a college yeah. athlete, and I, and I tell people this, it's like a full-time job. Oh, it is like a full-time job completely. And it's really a difficult thing for the every girl that comes to us, right? They're, they're the star. They're the star of their high school team. They're the star of their club team. And then they come in as a freshman and – might be their first time away from home, first time away from parents, first time living in a dorm, new new roommates, new suite mates, and now, hey, maybe I'm not starting, maybe I'm not playing as much as I thought, or wow, you know, the other 25 girls on the team are, are just as good as I am. Let I mean, me let me stop you right there on that because that's that's a key key issue for so many young women, young men who become freshmen at the collegiate level. As you move up the ladder, Starting in youth sports, playing at age five, six, seven, whatever, you're playing, having fun, and then you get on these teams where you start to play the better players and the lesser players don't play as much, and then some kids quit. And then as you move, if you move up the ladder, then you maybe go from a rec team to a premier team to a traveling team and a high school team. You're only yeah. going to play at that point if you're good, and then the better players will survive, and then right. you make it to the collegiate level where you may be the best player in your high school team, and then you come to college, you're a freshman one of six or seven freshmen on a team of 24, right? and you've got three years of people ahead of you who are all the best players on their teams. Yes. Okay, so how do you help a young lady make that adjustment, Chris, to the college level when they're a freshman, and they're not going to play when they yeah. used to play all the time? Well, that's, 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 a, that's a really good question, and that's a really good conversation that we have to have with those players, and, and uh, we talk to, to them quite a bit. I think we spend a lot of time with the freshmen, especially the two, three weeks of preseason because um, that's when we, they really have a tough adjustment because we've never had a player come in that doesn't talk in preseason about just how they can't believe how much more physical the game is, how much quicker it is, you know, just how, how good everybody is. I mean, every freshman, no matter who we've had, and we've had some, we've been blessed with some phenomenal players, but all the freshmen in that first couple of weeks, uh, you know, want to talk about what do I got to do? What's the adjustment? Or they, they all have doubt at the beginning. Like, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm good enough to be a Division One player. I don't think I can play for UMKC. I don't think I can play at this level. And so it's just a conversation and just helping them. And, you know, and some of them don't play a lot as freshmen, but, you know, they, they learn and they learn from the upperclassmen. And I think that's another thing where it helps us to have such a good family culture, such a good family atmosphere as the upperclassmen help them. And they explain to the freshmen, hey, when I was a freshman, I went through the same things that you went through. And, you know, I was homesick and I was frustrated with playing time. But, you know, look at me now. I'm the I'm the captain or I'm the leader or I'm starting now. And, you know, just keep perseverance, you know, keep keep working hard, keep doing what the coaches tell you to do, keep doing what everybody asks you to do. And, and it will pay off in the end. Depression is an issue in society, not just in sports. Right. Okay. And you've had to deal with, with athletes who get depressed. Correct. The stress can add up and take its toll on them. They may have issues when they come to school. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how do you pick up as a coach that you've got an athlete who's depressed or down in the dumps or not not quite up to par? Yeah, everybody shows it differently. And that's that's the tough thing, I think, with, with mental health is um, you know, a lot of people are really good at hiding their depression and hiding how they truly feel. So I think it's a uh, part of really getting to know each person and getting to know them. But 
Um, I feel like the more you talk to the to your athletes and the more you see them in social settings too, not just on the field, not just at games and but you know we spend a lot of time traveling a lot of times where we'll leave on Thursday and not get home till Sunday night or Monday, so you get to know them as people, and I think the more you get to know your student athletes as people, you can see when someone's uh, struggling. I also feel like one of the thing, like, things that I do is I, I'm very honest with the girls with with what I've gone through. I've you know I, I suffer from post concussion syndrome. Um, I've had uh, you know too many concussions to be honest, and and I've gone through some tough health situations, some tough health problems, and I share that with my athletes. I share what I'm going through with uh, with migraines and vertigo and stuff like that from time to time. And uh, I think when the girls hear my story and understand what I'm going through, they also feel like, hey, I, I can talk to him and he maybe maybe he can relate with to me more than than other coaches can because he's struggling himself. You know, I, I think this is an issue. Obviously, you and I've talked about it and we'll continue to talk about it. it becomes a bigger and bigger issue as time goes on for some young ladies, young men, because they've always been successful and they get to the collegiate level and now like you said they may be on the bench they're not starting they're not playing as much uh, they may have to get redshirted whatever and it's a big adjustment and so having the ability to communicate and understand and discuss all that stuff with them is really really important and that, yeah. i think that's where, where your job as a coach comes in and also that's why I, I feel very very strongly about the importance of having sports psychologists on staff at universities to be a necessity now just like having a trainer or a doctor i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs we're on the Sports Psychology from Flagship Station Sports Radio 810 WHB. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. The world of youth sports has grown tremendously in the last few years. And with that growth comes questions. What's the right age to let my child start playing? When should winning and losing become important? And how can the youth sports experience be fun? These questions and many more are addressed head-on in sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs' book, Just Let Him Play, guiding parents, coaches, and athletes through youth sports. Written with Major League Baseball pitcher Jeff Montgomery and Hall of Fame swimming coach Peter Malone, Just Let Him Play tackles the issues that make youth sports increasingly difficult for parents, coaches, officials, and especially kids. Just Let Him Play explains the importance of winning and losing, success and failure, and why it's okay when not every athlete gets a trophy. For more information and to get your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, for your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. Here's farmer and businessman James Wood. We farm about 3,500 acres. There's pipelines everywhere. The contractor working on my property did not have the lines located before he began work, and it resulted on a strike on a natural gas pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety campaign. All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. For your family, for future generations, for all of us. Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million.
Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. My guest today in studio is University of Missouri, Kansas City women's head soccer coach Chris Sissel. And we've been having a really interesting interview today about, you know, Chris's views on different things as, as a head coach. And we've been talking about the importance of mental health. As, as you know, if you listen to this show, I've been a sports psychologist for 38 years, one of the first sports psychologists in the country. I've worked with athletes at all levels, from youth sports to the professional and Olympic level. I've, I've spent a lot of time with college athletes. I was the University of Kansas' first sports psychologist back in the early 80s. I've worked with UMKC's teams. I've worked with athletes from teams all over the place. And, you know, I, I'm biased because I'm a sports psychologist. I get the importance of mindsets and attitudes, yet it still blows my mind how so many people don't see the importance of it, think it's stupid, think it's a sign of weakness. I know of coaches who won't have anyone like me around because they said, well, players are just going to come talk to you and bitch and complain and moan, and I, I can't have that. They've got to be tough. Yeah, They've got to be mentally tough. Well, Chris, what's mental toughness, and what, what are the characteristics of a mentally tough athlete, and how does that get affected by their psychological health? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, you know, mental toughness is a, is a tough thing to – to define, I think, really, because, I mean, I, 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 right now I'm just thinking about my team. I'm thinking about my current family of, of girls, and, and we're extremely mentally tough, um, you know, and they go through a lot of adversity. But at the same time, I think part of now, as I get older, and like I mentioned earlier, I just turned 47 and have been coaching for a long time, I think is being mentally tough is knowing when you need help, is knowing when you need, you know, someone to talk to. Um, as an athlete myself and younger in my coaching career, I was probably one of those coaches, like you mentioned earlier, that thought it was a sign of weakness, and we don't need this, and we don't need it's just someone for people to go and and complain to or something. But now I feel like if if you are mentally tough enough to know that you're struggling in some aspect in your life, and there's something not right, um, you know, mentally to, to to have the you know to have the ability to say, hey, I need help, or I need I need to talk to someone, or hey, I'm really struggling with something, and I'm not really sure how to deal with this. You know, can you help me? And, you know, like I said, I don't pretend to be an expert in any of this, but I sure as heck do want to help anyone who is struggling or anyone who's going through a tough time mentally. And it, it can, you know, it can involve so many different things. So I would say right now, maybe being mentally tough is being mentally strong enough to say, hey, I need a little bit of help here. Can you help me out? I have a saying, one of my many sayings is a, is a 
good coach checks his or her ego at the door. <laughs> yeah. And I've been around many coaches whose egos were more important than the team. And uh, subsequently, didn't work with them very long or stopped working with them. Yeah. They got rid of me once they came in, um, replacing the coach who was there before. I, I see the egos of coaches interfering with so many athletes' mental health because – yeah. They'll play games with them. And, right. I, that I, and that's something yeah. I, I don't yeah, feel you tough. do at all. I mean, yeah. but a lot of coaches play these head games with these athletes. Yeah. And when you're in the process of recruiting and, and you have a son who's playing college soccer, he went through a recruiting process. Right. And he's transferred once. Yeah. Okay. I've actually uh, got two sons right now playing college soccer in the area, and I've got a daughter who's a junior in high school who will be playing college soccer in a year. Here, okay, so, so you, you're dealing with a lot of this stuff as a parent as well as as a coach. Correct. What What would you suggest to parents to look for in the recruiting process when their their son or daughter is, say, a junior in high school and 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 possesses the the skills to play at the collegiate level, whatever yeah. their sport might be? Right. I think one of the things that, that I would suggest is kind of goes in a different direction, but I think what they need to do is they. They need to talk to the current players, if that's if at all possible, because I think the current players are brutally honest, and they will tell you what the culture is really like. The coaches, you know, we're, we're trying to recruit you. We're, we're going to sell you on, and we're going to tell you what we think you want to hear. But if you can talk to current players or alums uh, who've just who've just left a program, uh, just graduated and moved on, they're, they're going to be brutally honest with you. They're going to tell you everything. They're going to tell you all the great things about the program. They're going to tell you what they don't like about the program. They're going to tell you what they don't like about the coach what they don't like about the school. Um, so I think that's something. And I also think what needs to be done more in the recruiting process is actually going to games or watching games. I'm amazed at how many uh, players, how many recruits commit to a school, commit to a, to a college or a coach without ever watching them play. So they don't know what style they play. They don't know what their tactics are. They don't know how they interact with their players. They don't know how they interact with their team, with the referees, what, you know, what, what's it like on game day there. Um, and maybe and a lot of these kids end up uh, committing to a school or to a program that plays a completely different style of soccer or whatever sport they're playing than, than what they, you know, than what fits them. And I think that's something that is really missing in the recruiting aspect is actually being able to go and just watch games. And right now, too, like most almost everybody at the collegiate level web streams their games. So even if you can't physically be there, you can watch the games and, and kind of see what happens to, during a match. What's the 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 well? Let me let me rephrase that. The transfer rate at, at the collegiate level, I read once, was over thirty percent for all call all sports, all college athletes. Every year, yeah. it was about a thirty percent transfer rate. Yeah, it's, that seems really high. I mean, that's not. I, I, I I've that, read that. I don't know if yeah, that's that totally might, accurate, yeah, but I, read, I mean, it could be with different sports and different teams. When you take them all programs. together. When you add them all together, male yeah, and that's female, probably correct. But uh, okay, so but, why do so many athletes transfer? I mean, there are obviously I mean, a lot lots of reasons, of reasons but, but I think a lot of it too. And I mean, I can talk specifically to our sport. I think is you know we're, we're there's a, we could go on a whole other show about you know NCAA legislation and the new rules put in place to to make sure we don't recruit so early, especially in women's soccer. But I think that's been one of the problems in our sport is for the last five, six, seven, eight years, all these girls were you know committing in eighth grade, ninth grade, and then you know they'd get to that school, and I think that's why the transfer rate was so high. Should- should there be should there be that you know should kids be committing in, in eighth no I don't I'm think seeing so. this in gymnastics I'm, no. I'm seeing a lot of gymnasts that I work with are committing in eighth and ninth grade and I'm like 
No, Why like I said, we could go that? a whole other show on this, and it's a very heavy topic right now in soccer, and especially women's soccer. But there is new legislation put in place that hopefully will curtail this. But yeah, it's been crazy, especially in Kansas City, because Kansas City women's soccer is phenomenal, and you have all these you know universities, all these coaches coming in and recruiting locally. But we have way, in my opinion, this is my opinion, but way way too many girls committing to college soccer in eighth and ninth grade, or you know, and are committing without ever seeing the team play, without knowing the coach or we have girls committing without ever even visiting the campus in our last couple minutes here chris what advice would you give parents and coaches at at the youth level about developing kids to get to the point where they could be maybe a scholarship athlete what would you suggest to them What, what, what would be your advice as far as their development well, one, my, one of my advice would be, and it sounds crazy, but it's just to, to love the game. Just have passion for the game. I mean, I think everybody's so focused on getting recruited, so focused on who's playing Division One, who's playing Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA. Just teach a love and passion for the game. Not worry so much, you know, especially at such young ages, not worry so much about the scholarship or what, what level people are playing at. I mean, I'm a Division One coach, but at the same time, we don't, you know, not everybody – you know, needs to be playing or wants to be playing Division One. You can get a great experience playing Division Two, Division Three, or NAI. So I think trying to figure out where do you fit, where are you going to get the best experience, and trying not to put so much pressure on. I've got to be the best, and I've got to be playing Division One. Last thirty seconds here. What's more important, winning or having fun? Oh gosh, uh, they're both extremely important. I mean, winning, winning. You know, especially at the Division One level, it's important, but. Having fun, I guess, I guess I'd have to say having fun is more important, although I'm extremely competitive, and I yeah, love, I know and that, I love but, winning. But if you focus more on having fun, doesn't that end up yeah, leading more to winning? True, and I think if you watched our training sessions and watched the way we train, the way we practice, you would see that we probably focus more on having fun. This has been a great interview. Uh, you know, you're a good friend. I, I admire you immensely for the way you coach and your success, but also for the type of person you are. I see how the young ladies that you work with really, you know, gravitate to you and respect you. People want to get a hold of you. How can they reach you, Chris? Uh, very easy to get a hold of. They can they can email me at Sissel C C I S S E L L C at umkc dot edu, and my phone number is eight one six three zero nine eight four seven seven. And I just want to thank you for having me on the show. Like I said, I'm I am a big fan of yours, and I appreciate everything that you've done for me. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate the comments. Listen. Continue good luck, and I know it'll continue with you because you, you know what it's about. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. You can reach me several ways. Follow me on Twitter at, at DRJ Sports Psych, at DRJ S-P-R-T-P-S-Y-C-H. Check out my website, winnersunlimited.com. It's just been redone. Send me an email at DRJ at winnersunlimited.com, and you can always call me at 816-561-5556. Enjoy the show. Our shows are podcasted on SoundCloud here at Sports Radio 810 WHB and also my website. Have a great week. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. Are you an athlete, competitor, or ordinary individual who wants to learn how to relax? build confidence, and think more positively? Then the 20 Minutes to Success series of digital downloads and audio CDs from sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs are perfect for you. 20 Minutes to Success will teach you techniques to help you succeed. Dr. Jacobs covers topics like deep breathing for better focus, 
confidence building, and positive visualization. The 20 Minutes to Success series includes programs for individual sports like swimming, running, tennis, and baseball. You can also target overall athletic performance or relaxation. For more information and to get 20 Minutes to Success on digital download or CD, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, to get 20 Minutes to Success, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station.